where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut, Colorado, the United States, or Europe, or anywhere in the world. Sometimes I am genuinely surprised by what I remember. I mean, of all the people and places and things, why do I remember this one thing? And the very brief memory that I'm going to share with you today is probably something I remember because I love new questions or questions that surprise me in their answer. And this question was posed by a professor back in 1990 who said, what does every soldier need? What does every soldier need? How would you answer that question? It's not a trick question. You can really say it out loud. He did have one answer that he held back from us that we didn't guess, but support, love, brotherhood, socks, um, sort of a mission. What are you a soldier of? We were way more practical. We were like uniforms. Um, guns, and the answer that was held back from us until the end, because we didn't get there, was every soldier needs, and this sort of points to what Diane was saying, an enemy. I'm going to let that sink in for a second and recognize how that really does permeate the military experience. It's not all there is because there is a brotherhood, there is support, there is love, but what they hold in common, sometimes what nations hold in common, is an enemy. Now you've probably noticed that scripture is filled with military imagery. It's actually a bit much, I think especially since the character of God seems to be at the very center of the conflicts and sometimes causing them. It's confusing and it's convoluted and frankly, it's hard to make sense of the stories. Sometimes I think it's worth just skipping over huge chunks of writing. And the writing of the prophets are no different. They are replete with military stories. They're written during fiercely troubled times. Consider for a moment what comes to mind for you as you remember what you would consider fiercely troubled moments in history. Just quietly to yourself, what you would consider fiercely troubled moments in history. It's intentionally open-ended. Trust you all have something in mind, or more than one thing. In the first audience of the book of Jeremiah were survivors 
of disaster and trauma. And from a very practical perspective, there were winners and there were losers. The winners got the land and the loot and they decided which language is primary. They got to write and enforce the laws. The same has held true through all generations, right? That's one way to look at who the winners were. But from a place of spirit, even those who appear to gain or win have lost. And I sometimes think the confusion of declaring victory is an even greater loss. A sense of clarity is needed to determine the difference between what is harmful and what is helpful. And the distinction is not as simple as it sounds. The enemy, after all, is the author of confusion. One of the gifts of Jeremiah is that Jeremiah's writings emphasize the human side of divine activity. And I find some of his imagery really helpful. For instance, in chapter 18, Jeremiah introduces the image of a potter. God calls Jeremiah to go to this place. He says, go to the potter's house and there I will let you hear my words. So Jeremiah dutifully goes to the potter's house and sees a potter working on something. And the vessel that was being created becomes spoiled in the making and the potter just starts over and reworks it. And God says to Jeremiah, can I not do with you what the potter has done? Just like the clay in the potter's hands, so are you in my hands. Part of God's rework includes the empowerment of new voices. And in Jeremiah's case, it was the voice of this young man. Jeremiah was just a boy when he was called. And God said to Jeremiah, before I formed you, this is, this is actually what was written about Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And as the story goes, Jeremiah resisted this and said, you know, I, I'm not your guy. I really, something else, find something else for me. And God <clears throat> is said to have put his words in Jeremiah's mouth. Don't be afraid. Stand before them. I'll be with you, and my words will be in your mouth. So today, God says, I appoint you over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to pull down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. That's the story of how Jeremiah found his voice. The idea of finding our voice is something that many women are familiar with. 
And I want to also say that I think men are familiar with this as well. Finding a voice that is not um, expected, but one that is yours. It goes both ways, you see. We all need to find our voice. And I do sense that our young people are much better at this than I was at their age. Perhaps you've noticed this too? There's a young writer's project called Voices for Change. And I'm going to share with you a poem from that group uh, by Nightheart. And I'm going to read this. And as I read this, see if you can sense the potter's hands at work in the reworking of relationships. So this is, again, by Nightheart to all the people who hate Muslims. Do I scare you? They call it Islamophobia, after all. Do I scare you? Does my family scare you? Let me give you a summary of us in case you didn't really know us all that well. Me, standing at about five foot two inches with big bushy fuzzy hair and a penchant for zoning out and always having graphite stained fingers. My sister, 10 years old who once made her own little snack dispenser out of a cardboard box and some tape. My father, who makes us pancakes in the morning, who loves gardening and prides himself on making food out of our own vegetables in the summers. My mother, who drinks more tea than seems humanly possible, who's just finishing up her dissertation now and loves dancing to any song anywhere. Are you scared of us? Because that seems a little silly at this point, doesn't it? You tell everyone that you're scared, scared that your culture is going to be gone, scared we'll bomb you, scared that we won't assimilate. But you know what? I don't think you're really scared. I think you're angry. Angry because you have lost people that you knew. And for this, I cannot blame you. Angry because you hear of things that are done and you do not understand them. And confusion is often the source of hatred. So no, I don't think you're scared. I think you are angry with people you have never met in your life, never talked to in your life. And isn't that a bit weird? But hey, I'm not here to tell you how to live your lives, no. But just consider this. And here's the reworking. I'm scared. I am scared when I walk down the street at night. Whenever someone is behind me, I hold my phone to my ear, oh so tight, and pretend that I am talking. I'm scared whenever I watch the news. Hope that we are not forced to identify ourselves with badges repeating history. My God, what has it come to? I bow down to a God you think is not yours and you hate. I sing prayers in a language that is not yours and you hate. I fast for a month to understand the struggle of the poor and you hate. 
all because you got your information of Islam from old and outdated beliefs. So you hate. And yet, didn't the Bible say, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself? Well, we are your neighbors. We are the people that run your local supermarket or dollar store. We are the people that teach you. We are the people that are your students, your friends. We are everywhere, and yet you never noticed us because your version of Islam is some monster that you have built up in your mind. And hey, I'm not saying that we're perfect, but neither are you. And there's something fundamentally wrong with this conversation we're having because I should not be asking you to not hate us. So I guess what I'm trying to say to all the people who hate Muslims is that I don't hate you because my religion asks this of me, because my religion asks me to be kind, to understand people. So I'm begging you most of all, please don't be angry anymore. Love me. Wow. That is powerful and prophetic, isn't it? Now, and I trust, I trust that no one here would blatantly feel hatred towards someone because of their religion or because they are Islam, but you know this sentiment, don't you? You know the different degrees of isolation and segregation and dehumanization. This young person has been appointed over nations and kingdoms to pluck up and to pull down, to build and to plant. May it be so in us too. Another example of the human side of divine activity, part surgeon and part calligrapher, comes from the 31st chapter of Jeremiah, starting at verse 31 where God says, I will make a new covenant with you. It'll be different than the one that was made with their ancestors. Some 613 commandments, by the way, put in writing. Instead, God says, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. Imagine the delicacy of that procedure of a law being written on our hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Have you noticed these writings on your heart? I'm going to again turn to the words of poetry, but this time, Joy Harjo of Creek Nation she is the first Native American to hold the honor of Poet Laureate in the United States. And her, her poem, this poem, is entitled Remember, which comes from the album I Pray for My Enemies. Remember the sky that you were born under. Know each of the stars' stories. Remember the moon. Know who she is. Remember the sun's birth at dawn. That is the strongest point of time. 
Remember sundown and the giving way tonight. Remember your birth, how your mother struggled to give you form and breath. You are evidence of her life and her mother's and hers. Remember your father. He is your life also. Remember the earth whose skin you are, red earth, black earth, yellow earth, white earth, brown earth. We are earth. Remember the plants, trees, animal life, who all have their tribes, their families, their histories too. Talk to them. Listen to them. They are alive poems. Remember the wind. Remember her voice. She knows the origin of this universe. Remember you are all people and all people are you. Remember you are this universe and this universe is you. Remember all is in motion, is growing, is you. Remember language comes from this. Remember the dance language is, that life is. Remember. And as we prepare to move to the table of remembrance, I invite you to also remember the one who invites us at the table or to the table.